Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, guys, we got a great episode. Christopher Bowes of Alstorm along with Peter Alcorn of Alstorm will be joining me. And one of the other Alstorm guys jumps in towards the end of the interview. Uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that. It was recorded up at Heavy Montreal. We're also going to speak with Sean Franklin, who is an audio restoration expert. We're going to talk with him in a bit. And uh, to get things going at the start of the podcast, we will talk with one of my favorite guitar players. Growing up, I just loved this guy's style. Loved uh, his playing. I've seen him with Dio, Dio's Disciples. I've seen him, I even saw him with Jafria opening for Deep Purple back in the day. He is the master, Craig Goldie. Oh, wow. Just always an honor to talk with this guy. He is so good. And he is here to promote his band, Dream Child, which is just, uh, well, you'll hear all about it. It's uh, The lineup is insane. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Let's start this uh, fucker off. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Here's an old classic that sounds just as good today as it did when we were kids.
record on this thing, and in, it's not recording, but it looks like it's working this time. We are a go for episode 777. There are kids yelling in the background as it is my son's birthday slumber party sleepover. Welcome to my world. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a long night. And then got to go straight to my grandmother's memorial. Polly Jewett has passed on. Daisy Pauline Jewett, also known as Polly Jewett. Um, rest in peace. She, you know, I think I mentioned her before. She had 96, uh, I guess 95, 96 years, 93 good ones, I'd say. Um, so uh, I'm happy she's finally at peace. And there you go. Killers by Iron Maiden going out to my number one listener of the week for sure. Andrew Miller, dude, you are amazing. What is, what in the world? This is an enormous donation to Talking Metal via our, our PayPal on the site, TalkingMetal.com or TalkingRock.net. Andrew, you rock. And that song uh, right there, Killers by Iron Maiden, that is for you. Uh, and wow, I can't thank you enough, dude. It's so generous. I hope you had a great summer. And again, uh, big toast. I'm lifting up my, my cup right now. Uh, Scorpion's Crazy World Cup. It was part of the VIP package uh, that that uh, the Scorps gave when they played Madison Square Garden. I guess it was about a year or two ago, right? Eh, about a year and a half ago, I saw them there. I love the Scorps. Uh, anyways, we got some great guests. The one, the only, one of my favorite guitar players when I was grow- growing up, it still is to this day, Craig Goldie of Dio fame. Uh, saw him play many times with Dio. I think I saw him once with Jafria, opening for Deep Purple, actually. Uh, which was an interesting show. They, I didn't think that was the best match, Jafria opening for Deep Purple, but liked, I, lo- I liked Jafria. Um, you know, kind of pop metal, if you will. But Craig, man, what I love is the Dream Evil album by Dio, one of my top Dio albums for sure, one of Dio's greatest, and Craig was a big part of that record. So um, let's talk about what Craig has going on now. Of course, there's Dio Disciples, but there's also... This kind of hit me out of the blue. I didn't know this was coming. The project, the band, is called Dream Child, and they have a new record coming out September 14th, Until Death, Do We Meet Again. It is awesome. It's a great listen, a must-have for any Dio fan. I I promise you, you're going to like it. And last time I saw Dio play... Live, obviously, it was with Heaven and Hell. But before that, last time I saw just Dio, uh, the band play, was in New York City on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in 2004. The Master of the Moon Tour. Anthrax opened, actually, back when John Bush was still in the band. It was great. Chuck D came out and, and jammed with him that night. Anyways, yeah, that's the last time I saw D, the, the band Dio play. And that lineup was Simon Wright, uh, Rudy Sarzo, Craig Goldie, along with, of course, Ronnie James Dio. And that's essentially who's playing on this record, um, the Dream Child record. So it, it is a classic Dio lineup on this record, and it definitely has a lot of Dio sounds coming through on the record. Again, it is a great listen. It's going to be on my, my top 10 for sure for 2018. The album, Until Death Do We Meet Again by Dream Child. Here's a track off the record. Under the Wire is the name of this one. You can go buy it now on iTunes. And that'll be followed by my brand new interview with Craig Golding.
Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and once again, calling into the show, the one, the only, the legendary Craig Goldie. Craig, how are you? <laughs> Thank you. I don't know about legendary, but it sure sounds good, but I'll, 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 I'll take it. <laughs> how are you Le- doing? Legendary to me, man. I mean, Dream Evil, as a, as a teenager, I had, it was one of the first cassettes I, I bought, and... Uh, Love that record. Love that record. Always said my three oh, favorite Dio records are uh, Holy Diver, Last in Line, and Dream Evil. Three of uh, uh. of Ronnie's best. And, uh, of course, you were just a major part of that Dream Evil record. Oh, thank which, you. Which leads me to the the new project or band that you have out, uh, Dream Child, which that, that, yes, sir. that comes, the, the words Dream Child, that comes from the Dream Evil record, right? Night People. Well, it was that, and it was Ronnie's nickname for me at the time, because I kept telling him what a dream come true it was to be in his band, and, and, and how often, uh, you know, because I'm, uh, I'm, I was just a boy when I joined that band, you know, and and I believe in God, and, and, you know, when a pure heart makes a wish and you leave no stone unturned and you work really hard, dreams come true, you know. Right. Almost 80 to 90% of my dreams and wishes come true, but I work my butt off. But, you know, he, Ronnie would only go, it was like, Goldie, how did, how did you do that? You know, and it's like, you know, so he nicknamed me Dream Child. So at the end of the song, um, Ronnie said, let's try something, because he'd never done this before, where... He actually had the um, the answer backs. Him and I recorded them in real time. So he he and I were standing side by side together in the in the isolation booth. I had my guitar and headphones. He had his microphone and headphones. And then we he would just sing something, and I would answer back for the end of the song. Right. And so he looked at me and said, "Hey, dream child," you know. And I and I answered back. And he liked that so much that he went back and changed some of the lyrics in the song and resung it. You can kind of almost hear the difference of tone because he liked the way that sounded so much that he wanted to work that into the earlier part of the song. Wow. So he went back like and kind of punched in and, and, and changed some, some lyrics to fit that in. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Wow, that's a great little piece of history. But let's talk about what's going on now with you. Again, Dream Child is the the band or the project and, and the album, which just sounds fantastic, is Until Death Do We Part. Let's start right there. Is this a band or is this more just a, a one-off recording project for you? Well, it, it's a band. And Serafino from Frontiers called me at home and just said, he goes, Craig, he goes, this is your band. And he goes, and I want to make this as successful as possible. And I was just like so floored that he would do that. And even though Rudy Sarzo is a, actually a band member for the Guess Who, you know, he's, a, he's a, a man of his word. You know, he wouldn't sign a contract and then go off and do something else, you know. So he's a featured guest performer on this album. And and we're very lucky to have him because you know I was in a band with him before I even joined Dio. So me and me and Rudy go way back to like 1983, 84, you know. Right. And um, and then uh, he joined Dio, and and he's such a great guy, and Ronnie's such a great guy. Ronnie and and Rudy were like you know just inseparable almost, you know, because yeah. they're such good guys, and. To have him lend his name and credibility and talent and performances to this album really raised, you know, the. I th- I thought it really brought credibility to this album. And then Simon uh, plays, 
he just plays his butt off on this album. He does stuff that I don't think people knew he was able to do, you know. Yeah. And Wayne and I had a band together before, and he has a, you know kind of a name for playing with Michael Shanker, and and then Diego just sounds like a monster. I mean, there was a friend of his that sent me an MP3 of a Dio cover seven years ago, and it was chilling. It sounded like Ronnie had covered his own song, and I thought, you know, this is way too early for something like this. So I contacted Diego, and we, we remained friends, and I said, man, you're amazing. I go, one of these days, you and I are going to do an album together. It's too soon for this now, but let's just stay in touch. And you know, and sure enough, that day has come. You know, And he just, even before I met Ronnie, I was always in search of a guy who could sound like Ronnie, because that's my favorite kind of music. And the fav- my favorite kind of music is going to be the music that I want to play and I want to write. And now that I'm on my own path, you know, I want to do what I like the most. And what I like the most is the Rainbow Rising days, you know, right. the Deep Purple days. You know, Richie Blackmore and John Lord, you know, Ian Pace, uh, David Coverdale, you know, and uh, Glenn Hughes and, and uh, even the Ian Gillen stuff, you know. And I, I loved the the, Ron, the Ronnie James Dio, Richie Blackmore um, connection, the Ronnie James Dio, Tony Iommi connection. That's my favorite kind of music. And so now that I have this guy, Diego, has got this similar power inflections. You know, because when Ronnie sang, he was like the voice of the downtrodden and the black sheep of the globe, you know, and the people who felt like they didn't belong. You know, the kind of stuff that sounded like what angered Ronnie were the same kind of things that angered us. The things that made Ronnie sound sad were the same things that made us sad. So it was almost like he was our voice. Like he, he went out to the world and, and sang on our behalf, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and there was a lot of us. I mean, I remember when I I came from an abusive family, so, you know, in and out of hospitals and stitches and surgeries. And, and so he, he was the voice that I turned to after a beating, you know. And I was not alone because when I joined the band, we would Ronnie would get these letters. He would show me these letters from guys that, in the military about ready to go on the front line in the army, you know, in wartime and say, thank you, Ronnie, for giving me the courage. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's how powerful that stuff. Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to create, I wanted to be a part of something that hit somebody else just as hard as they hit me. Yeah. And, I'm, and that's what I tried to do. I tried to recreate an era that was thought to be once long gone and never to return and bring it back and make it somehow kind of new. Absolutely. And I mean, in some ways, there's there. It almost feels there's certain elements that, that of this album that make me feel like you're, you're picking up right where you left off with Master of, of the Moon, the, the Dio record, ah. of course. And, and that that record kind of went back and also tapped into some of the the older rainbow sounds and, and right. stuff that you're talking about. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't do it purposely, but I can see where you can get that impression. Yeah, because uh, Richie Blackmore was and still is my favorite guitar player. He was the reason why I played guitar in the first place. And Ronnie James Dio was and is still my favorite singer. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, and um, with, with Diego, you know, whose voice just sounds so incredible on this this record. Again, we're talking about... Until Death Do We Part, the Dream Child record, which is out now. Well, actually, that's why it's called Until Death Do We Meet Again. You said it right there. 
because I would go to weddings and that and their vows would be until death do we part. And I thought to myself, because I believe in the afterlife, I thought to myself, well, shouldn't it be more like until death do we meet again? And then, ooh, that sounds like a great song title. And then I waited around for the right music and the right melody lines to make that happen. But you may, you said it right there. That what that's what made this title come about was people kept saying until death do we part. Cool. So I'm I'm sorry I was saying it wrong there. No, no, that was good. I'm glad you brought it up because not a lot of people know that. Because it's actually it's a very dark sounding title with a positive message, which was Ronnie's specialty. Sorry, I interrupted what you were getting ready to say because it just it hit me all of a sudden. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Thank you for, for correcting me and pointing that out. But I wanted to, to ask about Diego. Did you did you have to push him? Because at times he sounds almost, uh, I mean, there's certain words and stuff. I'm like, wow, that, that could be Ronnie. Uh, is that just the natural way he sings, or did you push him to maybe sound a little more like Ronnie? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because that's another reason why I was glad that Rudy and Simon were part of this, because they would be the first to say, Goldie, you got to back this guy off. He's, he's sounding too much like Ronnie, because they didn't want that to happen. But they started to realize, you know, that like I am influenced like Richie, so is Diego influenced like Ronnie. And there's a lot of parts in this album where he doesn't sound a lot like Ronnie. He just sounds like Diego. But, yeah, you're right. There are times when I'm just going, wow, you know, that sounds just like Ronnie. But I'm loving it, you know, because it, that's my favorite type of music, you know. So it's it's not like we're trying to dance on his grave or anything. It's just this is just the type of stuff we love. And so I didn't have to push him. I didn't have to. The only thing I ever asked, you know, was maybe a phrasing or can you change the melody closer to what the melody was before? Because sometimes he would, when I would send him songs to sing, then he would send them back he would say, is that right? And I, and it was kind of a running joke between the two of us. I'd say, no, it's not right. It's better. <laughs> you know, cause he would change the melody lines or change the phrasing or add mel- uh, harmonies where there weren't before. And so I had to, I never, ever, ever had to ask him, could you sound a little bit more like Ronnie in this part? Not once. Very cool. And, there had been some reports that Dio Disciples, which of course includes you and and Simon, were were also working on original new music. Is that something that's still happening, or did that stuff kind of become the Dream Child stuff? Well, we're and we're currently in in negotiations with with BMG, and um, they know as well as I do that. Um, Dream Child is recapturing an old era thought never to return and to try and make it new. And it's kind of like my thing. But the Dio Disciples album would be rec- would be creating a new era. Okay. And Jeff Pilson and I write really good together. And the songs that are on the demo, nobody's really heard, but except for BMG. So they know just as well as I do that it's not even it's not even the same it's not we're not even in the same ballpark although we are you know two guys are in the same band and it's still kind of under the umbrella of the same guy it it would sound like yeah, this is going to sound exactly two bands are going to sound the same but when Jeff Pilson and I get in the in the studio together and we write it's his mind is just he's just an amazing guy and he was in Dio and in fact he made Dio history because on every Dio album that says 
all melodies and lyrics by Ronnie James Dio. But that song, Stay Out of My Mind, was written by Jeff Pilson. And that was the first time Ronnie actually used somebody else's melody lines and lyrics for a song that went on a Dio album. That's how good Jeff is. Yeah, I I recently spoke with Jeff, and he always just lights up when you ask him about his, his time with with Ronnie, as I guess you all do. It oh, just yeah. seems like it was just a special time whenever you were playing with, with Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, definitely, because he was a good gardener of people. and But at the same time, um, he's, such, he's such a first and last of his own kind that everybody feels like, wow, you know, did that really happen? Because we are all fans of his. Almost everybody in the band is a fan of Ronnie's, you know. How could you not be? <laughs> and and we all start out as fans. I know I am. I'm just a fan of Ronnie's, you know. How could you not be? <laughs> and and we all start out as fans. I know I am. I'm just a fan who made it in the band. And, and Ronnie was a fan of music, and he never lost that fire. And never, if anything, it just burned brighter and brighter. He never forgot where he came from. That's why he was so good to his fans. And but not, not the main reason why. It was just that was just the kind of guy he was. He was a real kind-hearted, warm-hearted man. Absolutely. And that's very rare in this in this industry, and especially with some of the egos that we have to deal with outside of the Ronnie James Dio's. You know that. Me and Jeff were just talking about that recently. We were laughing, you know, because, you know, that's why it was such a joy on top of it all, because Ronnie was so funny and smart and kind and warm. And, you know, and the, his take on life and the way he acted and treated people was just so different than everybody else. And so, that yeah, it's, uh, it would make perfect sense that anybody who's ever been in the band, except for you know who, would light up when they talk about, you know, their time in D.O. Right on. And we are talking with Craig Goldie of Dream Child. And again, the correct title of the album is Until Death. We meet again. Sorry, I'm sorry. sorry about that, Craig. I'm sorry, man. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mean to make it sound like I'm correcting you. It no, just made me excited that, that I got a chance to tell people where that title came from is all. So do you – a couple questions. First, do you uh, – think that you guys will get out on the road do some live gigs with with dream child that's what we want yeah that's what the record company wants and um there's a a promoter that worked with us when when me and rudy were in dio together and just got through working with rainbow want to bring us out to russia and we're getting offers so we're just kind of a lot of it's going to have to be with uh you know just making sure that everybody's schedules uh, gel so we can but yeah that's definitely a, definitely part of something we want to do because we want to make this abandoned and I want to make this kind of like my thing you know it's like because this is when MTV filmed a portion of the Dream Evil tour for Headbangers Ball Ronnie did an interview and, one, and when they were talking about me at the, towards the end he said and I look forward to Craig being the leader of his own band someday. Wow. And one time during the Dream Evil um, rehearsals, right in front of his best friend, who was his favorite tour assistant, he said, he says, Goldie, I want to pass the torch on to you, kid. And we were like, wow, what, do you, what does that mean? What do you, whoa, do you know what that means? And wow. And, and 
I'm just now starting to realize what that means, you know, because he, he really poured a lot into this little sponge that the sponge could could soak up because, you know, Vivian is and was the iconic, you know, um, perfect, you know, he is the, the Dio guitar player. Uh, and then Rowan Robertson had it all going on, even at a young age. Doug had it all going on. Tracy G had it all going on. I was kind of jealous of some of the stuff that him and Tracy G got into because I wanted to get into that dark stuff. I often wondered why he would say no to me and yes to them, but it was because I still had things to learn. I was still in learning mode, and he was pouring things into me. You know, he wouldn't only just give me a glimpse behind the curtain. He would pull back the curtain, you know, and bring me to record company um, um, meetings with Warner Brothers and his own band wasn't even invited and I was in rough cut and he was taking me to these meetings. Wow. Wendy Deal was a paralegal and she taught me how to read and write contracts and Ronnie's lawyer, lawyer he was kind of a big time guy. You know, David Bowie was also his attorney and he would sit with me for hours just teaching me how to read and write lyrics and I got a chance to, you know, because Ronnie's network was so big, I got a chance to sit in on sessions where the producer and engineer of John Lennon, the producer and engineer of Led Zeppelin, the producer and engineer of Pink Floyd, the producer and engineer of Jimi Hendrix, even though some of those guys are no longer with us, you know, the people who produced and engineered them are. And when I saw Ronnie and Angelo, the way the unorthodox methods they would use to get the sounds that they got, all kind of just soaked in. And when I spoke at Ronnie's memorial service, the very first one, I said, when I start to do original material again, I would like to try to utilize everything that I had learned by working side by side with the master in such a way that I hope to make him proud. And I'm just now starting to realize that I may be a, a late bloomer, <laughs> you know, but it's it's like all kind of pouring out. And it's just because I was so fortunate to be given the gift that I was, you know, by such a generous man to take me under his wing and show me the world, his world, you know, and, and his method of writing lyrics and his method of writing melody lines and his method of writing songs. And so that way I could keep it going, you know, and Absolutely. it was just, it's beautiful, you know, because I know I'm not everybody's favorite deal guitar player, but however, Ronnie and I were, were very close friends and we just loved each other. I mean, from the very beginning, I would, you know, it'd just be me and him on the couch at his house, nobody else around. And when it got late, you know, he would bring out a mattress and put sheets and blankets and pillows on it and tuck me in like a father to a child and give me headphones to listen to the head, the Holy Diver recordings before they were even finished. Wow. You know, it was just, he was just a real special man. And so now I get a chance to kind of, you know, and, and one of my favorite things about the Dio Disciples concerts is going out into the crowd afterwards. No paid meet and greet, not standing by the merch table trying to sell T-shirts, just going out there and hanging out with the fans like Ronnie would and talk to them and treat them the same way he would, you know, and with love, honor, and respect and just hang out with them. Like, yeah. and because all of Ronnie's fans were his friends and all of his friends were family. Yeah, and so those Deal Disciples concerts were one big family reunion and a memorial service as far as I'm concerned. And so with this Dream Child thing, it gives me a chance to kind of do my own thing, but at the same time still keep, you know, like when my, my grandfather was a wonderful man, and he had a code of ethics, and he had a work ethic, and he had his convictions, you know, and that won't die with him. And same similar with Ronnie James Dio's musical methods, 
you know, and the way he was with his family, with his friends, it's that, you know, I, I am not going to let that way die with him. Right on. And I think he would be very proud of this record until death do we meet again, because it's it's in that vein of, you know, of the Dio stuff we love, the, the rainbow stuff we love. It's, it's so good. And I really hope everyone checks it out. September 14th is when it is released by Frontiers Music. We are talking with Craig Goldie. I did want to quickly circle around. I know you got another interview coming up, but just to go back to the Dio Disciples stuff. Uh, you So you are currently writing material uh with jeff pilson for dio disciples and, and yes and the guys in the band you know and but that's it uh, that's where the new era stuff really comes from is the is the connection between me and jeff you know uh, he's just he's his, the, his mind is just he's just brilliant whenever i go to his studio i call it the laboratory wow. <laughs> and he's the professor you know <laughs> So my nickname for him is Professor, and his studio is the laboratory, you know. But everybody's got great ideas. That's why Simon has um, writing credit on this album, Dream Child. Um, Rudy, I mean, even though they may not have written notes and chords and melody lines and lyrics, what they brought to the song and the ideas that they had um, made the songs completely different than they were when they were in demo form getting you know in the approval stage for frontiers so to me that it was just like credit where credit's due you know i can't take credit for everything you know even though i can do a lot it doesn't mean i should um it was a big thing of collaboration so the same thing with the dio disciples will be a you know a collaborative effort it won't be you know just me and jeff but a lot of it, probably the majority of it will be. But then again, you know, those songs will then be brought to the band and probably in a very similar way that this Dream Child album happened. You know, Simon's got a lot of great ideas and, and so does Bjorn and so does Scott Warren and, and Tim and Oni. You know, the Oni writes great lyrics, you know, and Tim is just sings so amazing that the songs will take on a completely different shape like they did some on um, the demos that we did that no one's ever heard yet. But... Um, it's yeah. It's gonna it's it's gonna be like a new era. Cool. So it's gonna be kind of like the you know the the past and present under the same umbrella maybe of Dio, but it's still like I said, it'll be it'll be representations of two completely different things. It'll be two completely different bands with two completely different sounds. And when do you think we'll hear this? <laughs> well, it, it's it's supposed to be released in January, but we're just okay. still kind of. I guess there's some sort of uh, something going on with the contract, so we're still waiting to hear back about all that. Okay, cool. And you would like to tour with Dream Child, but nothing concrete at this point. Yes, there's nothing's been nothing's been um, uh, confirmed, especially because the album hasn't even been released yet. Right. And so it's, I think a lot of a lot is going to change once that album gets released. Very good, very good. And you know, I, I you. You mentioned before, you know, you're not sure if you're everyone's favorite guitar player of Dio. And I I just got to give you props, man, because like I said, that Dream Evil record and and seeing you so many times in concert with Dio, it's it's really uh, to me that, you know, and I know in the press, sometimes you and and Viv don't always, you know, see eye to eye. But you two guys (laughs) were, were the two guys that I always, you know 
put in that iconic uh, Dio category. You, you are the guys that were were the the quintessential Dio guitar players, at least for me. Ah, well, thank you, thank you for that. I mean, I quite honestly, as 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 strange as it may seem, I've got nothing against Viv. You know, I love right. the way he plays, and I I I I love him. I love Vinny. I love working with Vinny. He's off. Nobody plays like him. You know, I just wish that the thirty-year-old um, grudge would go away. That's all. Right. Right. And then then and then I might say something, and then somebody will pick up pick up on it and twist it around, and it becomes a big thing. But you know, it's I really don't have anything against Viv. Good. Well, that's, that's that's good to hear. And and listen, you know, he's he's out there with his last in line thing, and you're you're doing the Dio Disciples and Dream Child. So in in a way, you're both kind of keeping the the music and the spirit of the music alive, which I think is just great. Yeah, I think the last in line album is amazing. I love Andrew. Uh, in fact, Andrew worked with me and Jimmy in a band called Hollywood All Stars. That's where Jimmy discovered oh, right. Andrew. And uh, and so I wanted to do a a, um, a project with Andrew. In fact, I was hoping that maybe Andrew would be, you know, would come and sing with Dio Disciples after that Hollywood All Stars uh, concert. Right. You know, so it, you know, but he, you know, he's just amazing, and he got he he got placed where he was meant to be placed. Uh, I think it's a great album. I think, yeah, I think he's awesome, and he's got a great heart. We got a chance to do a concert together with Rudy and Vinny with a symphony in in um in uh Santa Clarita area in California. It was awesome to be able to play songs with a symphony, you know, and there was Andrew. It was great. Right on. Right on. And Craig, we are at our limit here. I know you got another interview starting up in just two minutes, so I'm gonna let you go. But uh, man, if uh, we got to get you back, I, I could talk to you for two hours about your history. I mean, there's just so much there. And uh, living legend, Craig Goldie. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I think you still have my email, but I'll email you. And then, uh, yeah, we let's set something up again because, you know, I really like talking to you. We always have really great um, – I never really think of them as interviews. They're more like conversations between two friends. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Goldie. So thank you so much, Mark. Until Death Do We Meet Again is the album Dream Child. It's out on Frontiers September 14th. Everyone needs to check it out. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Mark. Have a good one, man. I'll email you. See ya. Okay. And, I, and I'll, I, I'll do the same. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Do you like the dog? Do you like the way it moves? Do you come alive when the kills the soul?
Night People, some classic Ronnie James Dio there, some classic Dio with Craig Goldie on guitar. So good, so good. Love that record, Dream Evil. Love Craig Goldie. What a, what an iconic guy. Uh, just uh, always an honor. Wow, I'm, I, I get nervous talking to him, so much so that I was bungling the name of the record, right? Until Death Do We Meet Again. That's the name of the Dream Child record that we all need to go buy when it comes out or pre-order it now on Amazon using our Amazon links on TalkingRock.net or TalkingMetal.com. Coming up next, we have Al Storm, an interview recorded at Heavy Montreal, followed by uh, an interview with Sean Franklin, who is an audio restoration pro. So stay tuned for that. Um, Right now, Drink by Al Storm. I'm getting ready to crack open an Indian pale ale here. So uh, this is an appropriate song because it's Drink by Al Storm, followed by my interview with some of the guys from Al Storm. Starts off with two of them. A third one joins me towards the end. This was recorded at Heavy Montreal. Here we go. This is just anthem rock right here. Anthem pirate metal, right? Here we go. Drink, followed by my interview. Are you keys to beer? Thank you. 
Mark from Talking Metal. I'm here with Christopher and Peter from Alstorm. How are you guys? Smashing. Uh, Excellent. Soy estupendo. <laughs> Excellent set. Y y yo soy great. <laughs> uh, Tres bon. Tres bon. That means good in French. Simon Le Bon. Cool. Now, have you guys done Heavy Montreal before? Yes, we played. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Oh, oh my God. Oh, oh yes, we played four years ago. Once. Once. Was it four? Four years ago? 2014. Oh, oh shit, yeah. That was the Metallica year, right? That was Metallica. Yeah, Metallica, yeah. Oh, it was good. That was good. We didn't watch them. Oh no, we buggered off. We, we went to a pub and... <laughs> no, we played a show! Oh shit, yeah! We, we were supposed to watch Metallica, but we went off to... Was it, um... It wasn't, it wasn't Foofs, it was somewhere else. It was like no, even smaller Foofs. than Foofs. Yeah. And we played a secret show with Swashbuckle that night. So. Swashbuckle, from my uh, area, New Jersey. Oh, are you from yes. there? Okay. Yeah, they're from Ewing, New Jersey. Yeah, I know those guys well. Yeah. I wondered why you weren't fluent in French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Well, the, the set today was just fantastic, and I mean, definitely one of the highest energy responses from the crowd that I saw today. Uh, it, and you guys just played what was it, the Metal Days Festival over? over yeah, in, in Slovenia, that was that. That looked insane too. The the response from the crowd. Yeah, How do you? Actually, that was nuts. Uh, it was really good. Yeah. Because um, we've done a couple of over the summer that have. We've done a bunch that have been fantastic, and a couple have not really got it. And that one was great. I think I thought we were terrible at Metal Days. Yeah, but the crowd loved it. Oh no, I, I loved it. I think what I find is is um, some festivals like this one and Metal Days have a younger audience. Yeah. You know, well, sometimes we play shows, and it's you know that stereotypical metal guy. He's kind of he's kind of fat. He's kind of old. He's kind of German. He's kind of wearing you know loads of patches. But like this one. And, and metal days, it's like you know, younger a mix of guys and girls. People who want to party, and that just works so well for us. You know, I, I I'm from the states, from New Jersey, obviously, and I come up here and I see a much higher demographic of women at at the at the festivals. I think that's great. Yeah, the whole front row was just bras. Oh, the whole oh, front row was just lovely. Midriffs. I love a good midriff. <laughs> And you guys, where are you heading next? Wacken, you're heading over to Germany? Is that... First, we have this show um, in Poland. It used to be called Polish Woodstock, Woodstock. but then they lost the rights to call it Woodstock. Okay. So now it's just called... Surprisingly. Yeah, well, they, well, they did have a genuine deal with uh, Woodstock. Now it's called Poland Rock, but it's seriously huge. It's 650,000 people. Oh, my God. Not because that's like that's minimum attendance. Like they've had they've had up to a million before. That's ridiculous. So they, they I think it's a free gig. Yeah, it's free. That's why they come. They, they love a bargain in Poland. It's so what, how how do they make money? Then they sell just selling beer and I, stuff. Uh, drugs. drugs. Yeah, just drugs. <laughs> drugs. Non-stop meth prostitution. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. <laughs> so Vakins after that then. Yeah, a couple of days after that, yeah. and that's going to be. And Judas Priest will be uh, playing Vagen. Are you guys Priest fans? I I like Painkiller. Yeah. I haven't really listened to a huge amount of all this stuff, but it's hard not to like Painkiller. I'm really really good. They're just a band to me. You know, I, I'm not just like a. a band. I feel like they're getting a bit old, aren't they? Well, they are, but I mean, it's actually it's another one of these fucking bands that. I'm pretty sure I was like at one of their last ever gigs, and then suddenly, yeah, I remember. I remember their last ever tour in like I'm, 2012. Like, I was watching the guy from Emperor warming up on drums earlier, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I saw your last ever gig. 
it, around there, about 12 years ago. There appears to be a big business in announcing yeah. that you'll never play again. Yeah. So we're never playing again. Yeah, today was our, I mean, yeah, our it. next gig is our last gig. Yeah. So the Glory Hammer, you guys. That's, that's my other band. Yes. That's your other band. So you're, you're not involved in Glory Hammer. No. <laughs> okay, and the third album will arrive in 2019 from well sorry the, the glory hammer you have a third album on the way yeah i mean i've written most of it yeah i'll release it if i feel like it i'm not sure if i want to yet right right all right. I might change my mind all right and start a new band all right yeah. we'll see cool um when you look back at albums that meant a lot to you and form maybe even helped form your development or were emotional support through the years could you name a few records that were important to you in your I mean, life? Like by records by other bands and things. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in any genre, any any style of music. Ah, uh, that's it's really difficult because, I mean, I just sort of used to hit drums at things and then every now and then I'd pick something that was more difficult than what I'd just done. So there was a long period where I was listening to lots of Dream Theater, which was difficult but not necessarily good. <laughs> and... Uh, Porcupine Tree is a big one. Metallica is a big one. Uh, Certain albums or just the bands in general? Oh, uh, Metallica. I just went. Metallica probably my favorite band ever, so I just went through their whole back catalog. Uh, Blind Guardian, I know the shit out of pretty much everything they ever did. That's a good one for the drums, the old Blind Guardian. Yeah, it's, just, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very, you know, it's all that kind of through composed. It's not beats, it's just sort of a. Almost like orchestral percussion yeah, yeah, style playing all the time. Yeah, there's orchestral, you're just playing along to the songs. Yeah. Yes, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's great. So, but you listen to it 400,000 times and you remember it all. It's yeah. lovely. Um, there are others. Billy Joel. Oh, as well. yeah. for me. What's your favorite Billy Joel record? Uh, I mean. I'm remiss to say Stormfront because Stormfront it is just the I, hits like, it has it, it is, most of the good hits are on Stormfront yeah. you, are you a Billy Joel fan? Uh, I wouldn't I, I'm moderate I, I, I like his stuff you know my, my dad used to listen to uh, Glass Houses one of the first ones I remember ever seeing on cassette you know we had in our house so, which is a great record yeah I, I just learned the uh, I got the greatest hits off my mum yeah. we went on a holiday through like big long driving holiday through Norway one time we had like one cassette tape in the car and it was a it was one of the volumes of the greatest hits hello we're, we're talking about how good Billy Joel is this is this is Elliot our keyboard player hello Billy hello. Elliot Billy Elliot <laughs> welcome Vern. to the podcast I think yeah because I think Stormfront is so good because I'm um, what's well, got it's got Stalingrad main song Leningrad Leningrad <laughs> Stalingrad <laughs> also a good city in in yeah. Russia uh, <laughs> um Downeaster Alexa is a Downeaster Alexa Unbelievable. But I, mean, I, was, I was like learning Leningrad on the, I, I, on the piano. I, I tried learning that. I, I, bought, I bought like the. Piano, I, I bought the, the the Billy Joel um, sheet Billy music anthology. It's, it's 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 the chords are big and hard and it's the kind of thing that if you wrote the song it makes yeah. sense. But if you're trying to play someone else's, he likes, he likes all, inverted like, chords a lot. Yeah, dude, it's like you know it's the kind of thing you know if you try to write an art. We like Billy Joel. Mainly that, yeah. Christopher, why don't, what about albums for you? Like, for me, yeah. um, I think like the, one that, the one that started it for me, like, obviously, like, I was, like, 
vaguely into metal for a while. I was like, oh, yes, I like Pantera and Korn. Then I, I heard um, it was a band called Balsagoth, like a weird British symphonic metal band. Then I realized that, wow, it's cool to play, well, I say cool, it's cool to play keyboards in metal and it works. Because, you know, I, was, I, was, I grew up a piano player, piano lessons, that kind of right. nerdy middle class shit. And I was like, I liked metal, but I, didn't, I couldn't understand how to make the instrument I played work in the genre. And then I heard that band, I was like, wow, they are like the most symphonic, over-the-top, extreme metal. It's like, all these brass, but it's, it's all these orchestra things, keyboards, things all over the place. And it's just a guy on the keyboard. Like, that was in the days before, you know, in the days before bands did all their stuff with, like, you know, mad orchestra recordings and samples. And there was literally a guy with a cheap keyboard that yeah. sounded a bit like a brass section, and it made it sound amazing. I was yeah. like, wow. Well, this- I had the same thing, because I was like... I played the keyboards like growing up and then I got into metal like yeah. I heard like is this like 2004, 2005 I heard like all those bands like Trivium, Bullet for My Valentine, Killswitch Engage and I thought oh no keyboards are not in this genre right. I like this genre but I can't do anything so I like learned to play guitar instead Wow. and then it was only when I heard like Children of Bodom, Sonata Arctica uh, I thought oh wait no I can I can actually do something in, yeah. this, in this genre and then I did and here we are if you if Battles of Goth came out now, would you like them? Because you know now they'd have the Prague Symphony Orchestra playing their entire backing. In a way, I think, to be honest, they should now. It, it, I think they deserve, or they, they, they should have that. If they if somehow that band restarted, and you because know, they, they're, they're the, my favorite band, they're, they're sort of dead now, they sort of split up a bit. They never did very well. They, they missed the boat, as you would say, you know. Back, back when this whole symphonic, epic metal thing, like, Came out like they um like they were touring with Emperor in like '99, and then obviously Emperor went whoo and now they're headlining this, and then they sort of just went. Uh. I think if they were they were a band who would deserve and would have worked with, you know, insane orchestral backing tracks over the top, a stage show with a hundred wizards and you know all this nonsense. A hundred wizards! If I see another band with a hundred wizards, <laughs> it's like, Jesus. oh god, here we are, what's this? Another band, hundred wizards, seen it all before. You know, but like, I think that's a band that d- would work with that over-the-top production. Because I saw them live, um, what, 15 years ago now? And they were a bit shit. <laughs> a little bit shit, I'll be honest. But, you know, different times, and, you know, they, they grew up in a different era when... It was okay to be shit. I feel like I feel like production values. I feel like we're from that era. Yeah. I, I, I feel like pr- on. I feel like production values in metal have um, retro gone up <laughs> massively, and you know it's all about having pneumatic risers and flamethrowers. You know, no one had flame. Like, if, you, if you watch like a live DVD from the nineties, like all they had was like some white lights, and that was it. Oh, oh can't be in a good white light. Like, all these old-fashioned, you know. Uh, incandescent lights that just burn you. And that's all they had. And now it's like, now so you see a headlighting band. Unless they've got like, you know, the, the stage catches fire and the drummer rotates upside down and you know they throw a duck into the crowd. It's if, if, you, if you don't do that, no one cares. <laughs> Some sort of Parkway Drive hailstorm <laughs> crossover here. No one, no one sets ducks on fire and oh. catapults them into the audience. Can we, can we set a duck on fire then fuck it into the crowd? That would be amazing. Yeah. So the the last record is a little over a year old at this point. Is it too early to start thinking about new music? It is too yeah. early. Yeah. Just far yeah. too early. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Out of the question. I haven't learned half the last album. It's only so. five past seven. It's way too early. I mean, I feel like 
Yeah, when it comes to live shows, there's so many other songs we've yeah, recorded. We haven't, we haven't. But the thing is, no one really wants to hear them. Yeah, that is an issue. I think we, we, we find ourselves in this sort of, uh, for want of a better word, pop metal sort of world where people like the three or four hit singles from the album. They don't care about the rest. You know, the songs we could play, like we, we could spend weeks and weeks learning to play these really complicated songs from our albums. And at best, people would go, hmm, I mean, it works on tours where we've got like actual diehard fans I, who, but who, even who enjoy hearing two hours of music, but festivals, like, I can play the music video songs and go home. Yeah, people, people want to hear the hit singles and go home soon. So we should probably write a new album eventually, but... Yeah, an entire album you know, of things you, you know, can stick on the back of a t-shirt. You know what, I think I would love it if we could just give up on albums. And just write sing every six months releases a new a new single live every six to nine I, months. I've been saying this for years that we should just release patches for previous albums. Yeah, you know? can't you do that in today's well, times with with iTunes can, and downloads? You sort of could, but like I feel we can, but the record label would they want an album? Also, yeah, I think we're like a back back through time one point zero two with all the you know different. Yeah, but like is, we play a lot of the stuff totally differently. I feel like we sort of straddle that world between where we have a lot of you know cool fans. And we have a lot of fans who are like dedicated metal heads who like deep album tracks and who expect al- albums. You know, the, the, these people who grew up listening to albums, you know. Whereas, you know, some people grew up listening to singles, like, you know, more fans of, like, say, more mainstream music, that's all about the single. Whereas metal's all about the album. And I, I yearn for a day when metal becomes all about the single and. I don't know. It's easy. I mean. I still like the album. I mean. Aye, but it's. You're one of these people that puts an iPod on shuffle and then. Imagine going to, to the studio annoys and like me. recording one song and going home. Yeah, imagine, it's so boring, you know, it'd be it? great because you could spend one year just crafting the <laughs> best song. Yeah. Put all your eggs into the one amazing three and a half minute basket and people go, wow, that was the best song. It wouldn't though, you'd be so sick of it. We could just write albums like that though, like one amazing song yeah, and but that would... nine shit ones. Which is how they were, a lot of those albums, yeah, that's, when it's... you go back to like the 1980s especially, and actually. 70s, like, people are like, Europe, those albums Europe are great. Europe got ten albums, one song. Yeah. Right? Two, yeah. Rock the Night. Yeah, okay. Two songs. Two songs. Yeah, but people used to do just lovely concept albums, it was all one big thing. But no one, likes nice deep, but no one likes the deep album tracks. It's... Who cares? Oh. Pink Floyd's The Wall's probably one of okay, my favorite. Okay, yeah, but uh, there's, yeah, there's exceptions. Oh, sorry, that's good. Sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry, there's Pink, yeah. Well, I'm sorry we're not Sorry, Pink I used Floyd. a good example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us here at Heavy Montreal. I forgot what we were even talking about there. It just went on. It was great. <laughs> no, it was, it was excellent. I just came from the most awkward interview ever. Oh, who was so that? Spill some beans. Th- yeah, that was Magnus from Witchcraft, and uh, he didn't want to come here, scary. so I had to go to the uh, to his castle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he wouldn't he wouldn't talk really. It was just like uh, yes. he was like I cannot reveal that, and everything was yeah. So it was very very. Um, I thought it was brilliant because it was just so awkward and, and strange. But, uh, but he's the one that looks like a dick. Really. Yeah, yeah. At the no, end of the day, he's yeah. the one that looks like a dick. Because so. I just kept throwing <laughs> questions at him, you know, and and yes. he just stepped. No, kept refusing that, to that answer is the not question. right. Yeah. That no. never pays off, does it? You just end up looking like a dick. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so what are you up to tonight? You hanging out? Food. You catering stops see in the uh, 50 minutes. Oh, what, ti- what time is it? Um, well, you the, the um, there's a Sunday ice cream Sunday bar at the catering until 8 o'clock. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to head there. Yeah, cool. Um, All right. Watch Emperor. Yeah. Go to bed. Ice cream Saturday. Sounds good.
All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
That song right there was called The Hunt Master here on Talking Metal by Al Storm. Thanks to the guys at uh, of Al Storm for joining me on Talking Metal. Fun dudes, fun performance, great, great performance at Heavy Montreal. And last but not least, we're going to talk with Sean Franklin, an audio restoration pro. The interview starts off a little weird. There isn't like an official start. It kind of <laughs> just starts. So here we go. Sean Franklin on Talking Metal. The basement Wi-Fi networks here, which is where I'm sitting. So uh, cool. So the the you're working with Ant. Tell me exactly what you're doing with Anthrax and and the uh, the reissue. Okay, so uh, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I work for Chuck D from Public Enemy. Okay. And I've done a bunch. I've done a bunch of releases. Um, and a, a, just a ton of, well, a bunch of releases for Public Enemy and like a ton of various things that Chuck wants me to master because I'm a uh, uh, audio restoration mastering guy, like a mastering pro. So he's had me do a bunch of things. And I've been an Anthrax fan since 86. And it just got me thinking. I'm like, you know, I, I mean, I know the, the Anthrax Public Enemy connection and everything. And then I'm like, you know, I know, I know Charlie Benante's on... Uh, uh, He's on Twitter. So I was messing around one day, and I'm like, I want to see if I could really jack up um, the album Spreading the Disease. Because, I, I mean, I absolutely love the album. I love the performance, the, the songwriting. But I always felt that the, the actual, like, final mix was just, like, so, like, mid-range heavy, and it just didn't really have the depth. Right. So I went through, and I, I redid the whole album. And this is, like, the summer of 2014. And, and then I tweeted at, at Charlie saying, Hey, listen, I, you know, I work with Chuck D and you know, blah, 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 blah. But I, I did a, a, a new remaster of spreading the disease and I would love for you to hear it. And you know, well, thank God he actually got back to me and he's like, you know, Hey, I'd love to hear it. Freaking, he, you know, he, he sent me his email address and I'm like, Oh wow. Cool. All right. So that, that got to me sending that to him and you know, he really liked it. And then all of a sudden, it was just like he started talking to me about different things, about like mastering and stuff like that, and how he had these plans where he wanted to do like deluxe versions of you know the catalog. Uh, one had already come out, which was Among the Living, which came with a bonus DVD and some some bonus stuff on the CD. Right. But he still wanted to do other things, and then that that just led to like him going to Universal and see what we could do. Um, and then it was like a whole thing of like not getting a response. And, you know, then he's like, well, maybe we'll just do this stuff on our own and, and then whatever. So time, time like went on. Then all of a sudden out of the blue, one day he asked me what my address is. He goes, I'm sending you a bunch of stuff. Cause wow. we basically got the green light from universal to go ahead and start doing this. So I got this gigantic box of like, I mean, there must be like, like 50 cassettes, um, uh, dat tapes, like just like all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, Wow, this is like a treasure trove. And, so, and, and first like of, cassette like, tapes so, of like I'm, demos I'm, and ideas and, and, and just various oh, different stuff. All that, all that, all that stuff. Um, boombox recordings, them in, uh, in the rehearsal studio writing stuff, um, uh, alternate mixes, you name it. I, there's, there, there's a tape from the Persistence of Time era of them doing like Jailbreak and Thin Lizzy. I mean, there's just like... And I haven't gone through everything. I mean, because like once we started uh, doing stuff, because basically he said the first release was going to be spreading the disease. So I started like digging through a bunch of stuff and a lot of tapes were just like uh, new stuff and it doesn't say anything else. So you kind of 
start to go through these things and see what time period it's from. So, um, so basically, the first one we did was 2015. It was spreading the disease deluxe. Like they call it uh, STD30 for the 30 years. And I found, um, uh, yeah, there, there was um, the first song Joey ever sang with the band. It was like a, it was like a, like a demo of what he could do for vocals on Medusa. We, we right. put that on there. Cool. Um, uh, live stuff, live stuff from Japan, and then on that same Medusa tape, there was like, there was like ten or eleven uh, before they even had like, Joey on vocals, so we included all that stuff. And so even though, like, so there was a guy named Paul Logos who actually like was working with the band previous to me coming along. So um, they had him master this stuff. But I I edited everything all together. Uh, picked up the best takes, and then and I did a lot of pre-production before I even went to Paul. As far as like, if there was like dropouts or uh, certain section got messed up, I you know just just try to just tweak and fix it and keep it as as represented as best I could for the original tape. Cool. So that got that got released in 2015, and then we got the green light to do State of Euphoria. And now this one is what I consider like my finest hour as far as like with this kind of work. Um, I spent so much time, uh, basically making mini suites for like, so uh, right, the original album is remastered on disc a, but then the end of disc a is all the B sides that were affiliated with the record. Right. But then when you go to the second disc, it's almost 80 minutes of like, like I said, they're like mini suites. So like, you know, like be all end all will be the first song on the album, but it starts off, with a portion of like a, a promo album called Statements of Euphoria, but then it goes into like Charlie coming into the boombox of the melody for Be All, um, him sitting on a couch, like just like tinkering away, and then I found like the riff for Be All on his couch, to them into like the rehearsals room, tracking the drums. It's like it's like big ten, like the song is like ten or eleven minutes long, but it's like almost like a big cue from the Beatles anthology series where like, they just meshed a bunch of stuff together. Right. And, and it was, it's a, it was, a, it was a tedious amount of work, but it's like, I don't know. I, I just, I am so proud of it. It's just, I, like I said, I just feel it's my, my finest moment. And, and <laughs> I mean, this is like for forecasting a tiny bit, but persistence of time is even going to be better because I got, we, I got like 15, 15 or 16 POT tapes at my house. So there's wow. a plethora of material. Okay. So, yeah. so what actually is your like title? Are you like, are you a uh, uh, engineer, like a remastering engineer? Like what, what, what's your credit on these, on these records? Well, I, these I do all that stuff, but as far as my credit on this, um, it just says edited, uh, edited and compiled by me. And then, like I said, but I am an, an audio engineer right. and I okay. did a lot of pre I did a lot of pre-production work before, and went to the mastering step. So State of Euphoria is a record that I, I remember at the time, um, there, you know, actually a couple years after it came out, I remember Scott Ian complaining about it a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I don't think he does it in his book, but I can't remember, but he was like, you know, a little upset with the mix, I believe, and felt things were, were, were rushed. What, what feelings does Charlie? Because it sounds like you're dealing more directly with Charlie. What feelings does Charlie have about yeah, I that mean, record? I, I, I sent stuff to Scott and everything too. Um, that was a general consensus as far as because they, they they felt like they were rushed and everything. But then, like since then, you know, uh, like Charlie's kind of gone back and kind of reevaluated some things. And I mean, I I believe as far as the package goes, like I mean, I know he was like 
really, really supportive and really happy with the results of all the, like, all the outtake and all that stuff. So, I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, but I, I believe that like with all this stuff, it's kind of like maybe like maybe gone up a notch as far as, you know, uh, like rating of the album and stuff. Cool. I, I would love to see them bring back some of those songs. I mean, of course, we always get Annie Social in the set list, the Trust cover, but uh, you know, those were big albums for me. Uh, State of Euphoria, Persistence of Time, again, another big one, which I think the only one we ever get in concert anymore off of that is uh, I, I Got the Time, right? It's just, it seems like they only do the two covers off of those two albums. I would love to see the Anthrax guys bring back some of the original, original material that were on those two records, which were Big favorites of mine. I mean, I remember I had State of Euphoria on on uh, cassette, and I, Persistence of Time had to be like the fifth or sixth CD I ever bought. I remember, and I still have it. And two two great records, right. in my opinion. Oh, I, I I could not agree with you. Holy God! I mean, like like even more because I mean, basically, like like a song like Who Cares Wins. I would love to hear that live. Yeah. Or or Schism or you know like. Or just the actual opening song, Time, from Persistence, because Persistence is, like, one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many, uh, Discharge, and there's so many great songs, but, oh, I agree with you. I mean, I, I just sent um, Scott Ian an email, maybe, like, a few weeks ago, just saying, you know, like, worship music and For All I Kings, or For All, for All Kings, um, are such monumental achievements. Like, I absolutely feel that, like that's their comeback. I mean, I love both albums so much, and, like, I know I would love to see you guys maybe do like, you know, maybe one of those albums from, you know, from start to finish. Cause unfortunately, like these are, you know, these are my guys. I, I mean, I absolutely love this band, but I just feel, unfortunately, we're just getting a lot of like co-headlining shows. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah now this you're, is just strictly speaking as a fan. I mean, right. And I was just thinking that, but I mean, I would love, I was just thinking the last three yeah, times I've seen them, I saw them at a festival um, and they were actually the last four times I've seen them at two festivals where they get a 45 minute set. And then I saw them open for kill switch. And then I saw them open for Lamb of God and Slayer. And it's they, they just don't have enough time. I, I would love to see anthrax even get 90 minutes, you know, I mean, two hours would be insane, but I just, it, it's time that they, 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 maybe do a headlining tour. That would be really amazing. Oh, I would love to see that. Uh, I know like maybe like, um, I don't know, uh, two years ago, let's just say, I know they, like there was like a headlining show in New York or something like that, but it's like, I mean, they, they were doing stuff like aftershock and like all these like deep cuts. And I'm like, Oh man, why can't we have some of that? You know? Right. Yeah. Um, like uh, one of the last I saw them was at uh, Mohegan sun. Um, and uncle was Uncasville, Connecticut. And they actually started the show with "You Gotta Believe" from "For All Kings," and I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be such a ripper!" And then cool. it kind of stops, and then went into "Cotton and Mosh," and I'm like, "Oh man, I wanted to hear that," you know? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully, we will get some of the, the headline stuff because it's like they have so much material, and it's not like, oh, you know, I, I like a few of their songs. I mean, they're they are and have been forever my favorite of the Big Four. So it's like. You know, I just I would love to see some some more deep stuff. That's Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. And it sounds like you're uncovering the super deep stuff on these. Uh, what would we call them? Reissues or deluxe expanded versions? They're, yeah, they're, yep, they're uh, deluxe editions. OK, 
Cool. So we don't know yep. when the deluxe edition of State of Euphoria is set to uh, to release just yet. Charlie told me just you know because as, as I'm starting to do these different podcasts, because I'm you know I really again I, I I'm just I just can't tell you like how proud I am of like you know when I listen to this thing from front to back I'm like <laughs> you know it was a lot of work and a lot of mapping out and a lot of notes and it was but it's just like to hear it you know, in its final stage, I'm like, wow, I, you know, I, I'm really happy with this. And cool. basically he's just saying early October. Oh, okay. Early October. And it'll be so we're like right around the corner. There'll be a, like a CD with expanded inserts and artwork, it'll, that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah. yeah it, okay. Yes. It'll be, it'll be two CDs, um, you know, with a, with an extended book. Uh, I kept on asking Charlie, to basically see if we can get the um, the hologram sticker that came with the album originally, and I'm not sure if they ever, you know, if they actually did that or not. I mean, obviously, I haven't got a copy yet because everything's being worked with right now. Um, and I was told it was coming on a vinyl too. Like, I, I don't know if it was like a double vinyl release. Cool. So again, has to you know remain to be seen. But the, the actual release is right around the corner, though. Now, to kind of uh, conclude things here, the the biggest song off that record to this day remains the the cover of i guess they were called trust right the french metal yep, band french yeah french metal band yep antisocial any backstories to how that song came into play and why they chose to to cover it um any any demo versions that that any anything that you can clue us into uh as far as their choice of that song i want to now i far as that goes, I just, I just think that, um, I rem- I think just Charlie was a fan of trust. Cause I remember seeing him with trust t-shirts, like probably like, probably like among the living era, like before right. the album came, came before the city before it even came out. So I think he was just a fan of the band. Um, and I'm just trying to think, I think what we put on there for antisocial was Charlie tracking the drums. I think it's, so it's Scott and Charlie, just, just them two in the studio doing the whole song. Wow. Okay. So, so I don't believe there was an actual, uh, demo for that. Um, some of the stuff, like, uh, I think now, I, I mean, it's been a while since I listened to it because we, we, I've actually been done with this release for a long time. We're just, again, just waiting for the, all the red tape of the, the big wigs to get this going. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, like, uh, with, like, Make Me Laugh and, like, um, uh, let's see, I think possibly Schism, like, those are, like, really heavy duty as far as them working everything out in the earth room. And that, that stuff is just fascinating. It's so awesome to listen cool. to. It's just like, I mean, honestly, there's no audience. They're, they're not performing. It's just the real guys, you know, chit-chatting. Well, you know what? Let's try this section two more times. Or, eh, I don't like this. Riff. This doesn't really work there. Or that kind of stuff. It's just, wow. it's really cool. It's like being a fly on the wall into the creative process. Yeah, I love that stuff. I love this. Awesome, stuff. cool. And so, before I let you go, real quick, what? So, what? I, what do you actually do for Chuck D? Oh, for Chuck D, um, same kind of thing. Right. Um, okay. I actually produced uh, two different albums. There was a, a, a basically a, a split between him and his business partner. So, uh, a couple of albums that I did. Uh, actually, well, one of them got released on vinyl, which was a, a lecture that I put together as far as stuff, but. Um, I did when Public Enemy got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I did a a, a concert for uh, CD and vinyl of different acts that were there that day, and then Public Enemy set. Um, 
So that, that, that's the one that I actually produced, edited, mastered. And then there's another one from the Hip Hop Gods tour that I did for that. Those two are still waiting to be released. I've uh, done, I mean, just, just multiple public enemy tracks for uh, Spit Slam, which is his like, online slash offline label. Uh, he's had me work with a bunch of different like, acts on that label that I've mastered and done stuff for. So I just mastered a track uh, last week of a new Public Enemy song. That's a real, oh, awesome. it's a real slammer. Yeah, like, I mean, it's just, I don't know, to me, like noise-wise and just like sonic-wise, it kind of harkens back to the, like the, the Bomb Squad, like that, that kind of sound of like, the, like, you know, like, like 88, 89, 90, like around there. Right, right. And, uh, and Chuck crushes, crushes it, so it's, you know, really, really cool. Cool, well... There's uh, an album... I'm sorry, what's that? Oh, I was just going to say, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the 88 time, time frame because it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Just turned 30 years old. I cannot believe that that album is, is oh, 30. Oh, isn't that insane? Yeah. I remember, I mean... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember when that album was new, and it was... It's amazing, because I heard Yo Bummer's show in 87... You know, obviously before Nations, and my friend showed it to me, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is this is pretty cool." Now I've, I've grown to absolutely love and adore that album. Uh, I got some of my favorites on there, like like my Uzi Waste a Ton and stuff like that. But um, it wouldn't be till Nations where I got it, and it basically ripped yeah, my head off. Right on. Because I mean, that album is like it's just amazing. It's just I mean, it, it's like having like you know like Malcolm X made a rap album. It's just yeah. it's unbelievable. Plus the sonic wise, this just the all the the samples and everything going on. And, you know, obviously revolution not be televised, but, you know, harkens to Gil Scott Heron and, oh my gosh, that album's incredible. Absolutely. Yep. So it, it, it's pretty wild. Cause, um, now my company, which is called, it's not mine. It's me and two of my uh, partners. It's called the definitive experience, uh, TDX for short. Um, all three of us work for, we were, we actually work for Chuck, like slash public enemy. So, um, this guy, Mike uh, Gregory, is a, uh, a graphic designer and does like, tons of web design. So he does stuff for Chuck. Uh, and then uh, David C. Schneider uh, basically has done like most of every Public Enemy video for like the last like say 15 years, and you know like all kinds of like documentary stuff and, and all that stuff. So yeah, we all we all work for Chuck, and basically Chuck was like suggesting we all get together and, you know, form this, this company. Cause when, when they got inducted to the rock and roll hall of fame, what we did, the three of us is we got every single, um, non album track from every like from every 12 inch or seven inch release, like either it's edits, uh, remixes, you know, instrumental beat, acapella, all that stuff and made a gigantic set for the whole P crew. When, as a gift for when they got re- inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, cool. you know, like, you know, Flavor Flav, you know, Terminator, all these guys got this big set, and that's what, that's what really kick-started this whole thing of, like, all of us pooling our talents together and, and forming this company. Nice. Cool. Well, Sean, it's so, great to talk with you, and thanks for keeping us in the loop on the, the deluxe issue of, uh, well, actually, it's a, you did uh, Spreading the Disease, and uh, now you're doing State of Euphoria. It sounds like Persistence of Time might be coming somewhere down the road. So very exciting stuff. I cannot wait for the uh, deluxe version of State of Euphoria by Anthrax coming in October. Sean, it's a pleasure. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if anybody's looking for, like, any kind of audio work or, uh, you know, like I said, graphic design, like any, any video work, whatever, you could just go to www.defexp, 
E-R-I-E-N-C-E. So basically death experience. Cool. We'll link that through the show notes too on TalkingMetal.com and TalkingRock.net. So you can uh, link right over to that through our show notes. And ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with Sean Franklin. Thank you so much for your time, Sean. Thank you very much.
Out of Sight, Out of Mind by Anthrax on Talking Metal. Thanks for joining us, guys. Support us with a PayPal donation or by using our Amazon links on TalkingRock.net. Go to the site, TalkingRock.net, for all your latest news. It's not the same stuff you get on Brave Words or Blabbermouth. We kind of tweak things a bit. It's uh, news brought to you by uh, Mark Striegel and Victor Ruiz. It all comes your way via those two people. Mark Morris, I think, sometimes uh, chips in with a review here and there. Some other people, too. Uh, collection of people, but primarily Victor and I. Uh, Mark Morris, I know, is going to get us some reviews, and I know uh, I sent him, I hope he enjoys the restaurants that I suggested he eat at when he's in New York City. Mark, let me know what you think. Hungawi is great Korean food in New York City. Love it. Unless you're a meat eater, then they don't have a lot of meat, if any meat, on the menu, but it's excellent. You got to check it out, dude. All right, that's it for now. To take us out a little. More anthrax. This is Keep It in the Family. Love this one. Off the Persistence of Time album. Let's go.
one, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.